Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Brian Andreka of the Kansas Angling Experience. Brian's down there in Kansas. We talk about the fishing opportunities down there, and it's no accident that we're talking right now, you know, fall time frame. And uh, we're talking about the fall bite. We talk about, uh, you know, Brian's fall bite. We talk walleyes. Uh, but it's a multi-species thing. He's got some really cool, uh, you know, just some other fishing opportunities down there. or some other fish opportunities down there uh, on a lot of those reservoirs in Kansas. Uh, I'm talking about the wipers, you know, the the, the hybrid white bass, uh, striper mix. I mean, just, a, just an unbelievable fishing uh, experience, fish catching experience, especially on light tackle. Uh, look up Brian and you'll see the videos, you'll see the social media posts. He's also uh, very active on YouTube. He's got a very educational YouTube uh, YouTube page, Kansas Angling Experience. It's very, very, uh, very good. But we've had Brian on before, and for me, I really, I really like picking Brian's brain on a lot of things. But a big part of this, I just really like highlighting the fishing opportunities that are down there, especially this time of year when we look at the fall-winter time frame because Brian is hitting a, a phenomenal time of year, a great bite. Uh, you know, just like we are here in the fall, but his lasts a little bit longer and happens a little later because it is a little bit farther south on the map. But when you look it up on a map, it's not that far away. You know, a lot of us are in the upper Midwest. Uh, and if you're feeling depressed because you had to winterize your boat, you know, come October, November, you, you look at November, like we're going to talk about in this interview, November and early December and, you, you know, all winter long, he, Brian's open water season is is 12 months out of the year and it's not that far away it's at like a half a day's drive you drive down there and uh you know spend some time you're gonna you're gonna experience some phenomenal fishing and I just feel like it's a it's an opportunity it's a it's a it's fishing opportunities that definitely need to be talked about and highlighted because you know, just very, very cool, a little bit unique, it feels a little exotic, especially when you're fishing at a time of year when everyone else is wearing ice fishing gear or or at least is uh, preparing for ice fishing and, and the boats are winterized and you go down there and you're just going to experience, uh, you know, more great fall bite. Uh, you know, and like I said, we're talking walleye a lot in this conversation, but it's definitely a multi-species conversation. Uh, Brian guides for anything that bites and and he talks about the crappies that come on in the winter time, and yeah, just a, just a lot to like, a lot to appreciate about a bite like that. And and uh, anyways, so we've got Brian Andreka from the Kansas Angling Experience, and we're talking the fall bite. Let's get to it. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs, with over thirty locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. If you hunt big game here, remember to do your part in protecting the herd. And that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider. If you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link that is gf.nd.gov cwd. That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. I don't remember if you've described it before, but you kind of got to roll me through your seasons and like, like right now, like, like the conditions right now and sort of the, you know, like your, your early fall conditions and water temps and just like just that, that whole like early fall season. Um, and just do that whole description over again for me. Go ahead. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it has just been, you know, kind of the story of the year for pretty much everybody. Real dry, super hot. And this year was no exception. So, I mean, all the way from late July, August was just brutal. I mean, we had water, or I'm sorry, we had air temps, you know, heat indexes of like 130 down here throughout the month of August. And I mean, it was just brutal. And summer's always really tough in general. I mean, especially after kind of that June time frame when things get real hot and the lakes just get so stagnant. You know, we, yes, we, we live in the Midwest and we get some wind, but other than that, I mean, it's just super hot. We got water temps in the low to mid eighties. The bite windows are real small. We got bug hatches. The shad hatch, you know, is right around that June time frame. So between that and the bugs, um, I mean, those fish, all they got to do is swim around with their mouth open. So it really shrinks those bite windows. But yeah, I mean, here, I'm just kind of sitting on my on my day off guiding this week, uh, my only day off guiding this week, watching a big northwest wind blowing our first cold front of the fall. I think tomorrow when I put the boat in with clients, I mean, we're looking at like 36 degree air temps, which I'm so I'm more than ready to have bibs and boots on and be bundled up for that, uh, coupled with some wind. So that'll help the lakes finish turning over here because they've been trying and they've been real dirty. Um, I mean, even on, on live imaging, you can see all the air bubbles, air bubble streams coming up from the bottom, like things are trying to happen. But, you know, up until last week, we were still looking at, you know, high 80, low 90 degree temperatures, um, which is not what you think of when you think it, you know, the first week of October. So we're just kind of in the, getting into that, that swing of things and we'll kind of see what that does to the fish, but it should really start getting things going, especially with the big wind, uh, mix up all the water, finish up turnover. Cause it can, it can be pretty prolonged down here, especially if it's warm and then it's cold and then it's warm, you know, it's just very unpredictable, but yeah, I mean that, like I said, we're, you know, it kind of rolls us right into fall water temps start cooling down. Um, that's what really gets those fish moving. So I, when I think of my fall season, I mean, I feel like if people have, have seen my Facebook page or my Instagram or especially my YouTube videos, I do a lot of hybrid striped bass fishing or the wipers, which you know all about, um, you know, and that's just provides the best opportunity, second best opportunity for a true giant throughout the course of the year, you know, between early spring and then late fall. And it just get, continues to get better as it gets colder because those fish are starting to put the feed bag on. I mean, that's just, that's the name of the game in the fall and it's no secret. So We'll do that, uh, coupled with the walleyes especially, all the way up through, I don't know, first to second week of December. It, it really just all depends on Mother Nature, and we know how that thing kind of goes, especially down here in the Midwest, or the Mid-South, I should say. But once those water temps hit, you know, kind of that 36, 37 degrees, then the game fish starts slowing down a little bit, and that's when we transition to our winter crappies. So, you know, whereas like a lot of guys up in your part of the country, <clears throat> you know, if they're not going to be sitting in a tree stand or out in a duck blind, you know, putting the boats away, getting them winterized ready for ice season. You know, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a, you know, slow period of the year. Fortunately, you know, we, we pretty much remain open water 12 months out of the year with the exception of a few small freezes here and there. I mean, the lakes here, you know, seven, 8,000 acres, really just ponds, all things considered from where I grew up, you know, fishing green Bay and Lake Michigan. But that uh, the wintertime crappie stuff is really fun. I mean, yes, I'd, I'd sure love to be catching walleyes and big hybrids and stuff throughout the winter period, but um, I'm not a huge, huge crappie guy. I always kind of say I'm more of a fair weather crappie fisherman because I only do it when it's really fun and easy, which is the dead of winter. So that really fires up kind of that beginning of January all the way through end of February up until those fish kind of get pre-spawned, start scattering off into space uh, to start feeding up and pack on some weight for the spawn. And then right around that time frame, you know, first, second week of March, hopefully get some water temperatures starting to come up. Um, kind of had a, a little bit later spring here these last two years. So really didn't see those hybrids or the, the pre-spawn walleyes start to show up. Um, I don't really do a lot of the quote unquote walleye spawn down here. Um, like a lot of guys do. It's just not really, not really my thing. I wait until they're, they're done and they're hungry again. So that kind of leads us up through. April, which is probably the next best, best month to catch, you know, a big walleye who's freshly post-spawned or a giant hybrid. And then from there, once those walleyes get out of the, the river channels and slide up onto to more main lake structure and the mud flats and stuff, and we're 
pulling spinners, bottom bouncers, you know, trolling cranks, lead core, whatever you want to do, uh, pitching a jig in a plastic all the way from Memorial Day through mid to end of June, probably the best time to do it. So that kind of brings us full circle back to where we're at now after we get out of the dog days of summer and just pray, pray, pray for that cold snap. And like I said, that's kind of what I'm watching roll in today. We're kind of post-frontal, had a bit the front roll in overnight. And now it's bright, sunny, but it's still pretty chilly out there yet. we got that big 16 to 18 mile an hour northwest wind that I don't know. If I get a wild hair when we get off the phone on this podcast, I might get the boat out <laughs> yet this afternoon and see. See, Is that something that typically happens pretty fast? Is it pretty predictable for the time of year? Is it like something you can put on your finger on the calendar and be fairly correct based maybe it's a day length thing or whatever it is? Or or, or is it like, is that kind of, that fall bite, does that kind of start? pretty variable like like tell me about the conditions and just sort of the things that you've seen in the past that really set up and trigger that thing and just you know a little few more details I, re- I really wish that it was as predictable as most people think it could be you know especially like I think I don't know if it's the the day before my birthday September 23rd like September 22nd you know it was like the first day of fall or something I don't know it's it's something that it would supposedly, you know, coincide with this is this. Okay. We're starting, you know, a cooler weather period. No, here it's, I have to rely on my pictures that I take with clients on the boat every day. I refer back to, you know, what were, what was I wearing a year ago today in the pictures? Was I wearing bibs? Was I wearing gloves? Um, was I bundled up? Was I wearing a beanie? That's how it was last year. I mean, it cooled off. The cold spark happened last year, about like a week, a week and a half earlier um and i mean sure enough we were catching giants so unfortunately it's not super predictable the summer heat is very predictable but you know it's those fish sit around in stagnant super hot water they're super fat and they're super full um i mean we've been pretty much relying on a reaction bite you know ripping a jig wrap or a puppet minnow or a shiver minnow or a you know a big spoon ever since like the end of july I mean, I've had really no other consistent consistent pattern to have clients on fish other than basically it feeling like your forearm is going to fall off at the end of four, a four to six hour guide trip. But the flip side of that is that we're catching fish. So now with this cold front, and as we get into fall, the lake's going to finish turning over because we all know that can be pretty tough. And it can be, you know, uh, uh, literally the lake could finish turning over in a day or it could last a week. But that's when those fish really start getting more on a feeding pattern where we can start throwing a jig in a plastic or, you know, fishing them with live scope deep in the river channel, um, you know, which the river channels in the in the reservoirs down here in Kansas are just a feeding highway for everything. I mean, in, the, in November, we catch everything. They're either in the middle of the river channel using it like a feeding highway or they're right up on the edge. You know, it sets up probably like a lot of the Missouri River system lakes up there. Um, that have a river channel, but yeah, it's just, I, I look, it's like a breath of fresh air for me. I mean, I never call my job, you know, being a full-time fishing guide. Do we ever talk about like the guide grind, you know, it's popular and trendy to say it on social media and stuff, but, but July and August timeframe for me, and even into, you know, mid September, it does get pretty grindy and pretty repetitive. So once we get this, you know, our first fall cold spark, especially coincided with a full moon, that's like it breathes new life into me. I'm super excited to get out every day because every day is different. I know that there's going to be big fish biting somewhere. So talk to me about the changes in the fish and what you see, how you see it, whether it's on your electronics um, or, you know, if it's just sort of a feel kind of a thing. Like, tell me a little bit about the fishing at that time specifically. Well, I've kind of really seen it kind of come to fruition here in the last couple of weeks um, that there is still so much bait in the system. And I feel like a lot of the Kansas reservoirs are dealing with that lately, um, that there's almost too much bait, despite all the predators that they've introduced to the lakes, you know, case in point, the hybrid striped bass. The only reason that they made those for the most part was for bait population control. So now that we're going to get this big wind, the lake's going to finish turning over that wind, I think will blow a lot of that bait around to kind of spread the fish out more so that you're going to have areas of fish without bait that are, you know, probably more willing to eat than if you're fishing fish in an area with tons of bait. Um, because I, even on my live scope and stuff, and I always try and tell people this because the age old saying goes like, find the bait, find the fish. 
Well, when I'm graphing and I'm marking bait fish or shad in a specific area, I look to see how those bait fish are set up. So if, say you roll over a big school of shad, you know, it just looks like a big cloud. There's no target separation for the most part, unless they're big shad. Um, you know, it's just a big cloud. But if you roll over another group of shad and they're more broken up, like sometimes you'll kind of see them, and I've seen them with alewives up on Green Bay too, almost like in a S kind of shape, like they're moving around. That's when I think those are probably the fish that you want to fish uh, that you might mark around that specific bait, because you can tell that those, those shad are not super comfortable. You know, they're not hanging out in a big group, just all clumped together. They're like swimming around, like they're being chased by something. So that's kind of how I differentiate in a lake that has too much bait, what specific bait balls I want to be fishing at one, at any given time, just based on how that the shad might be cruising on live scope or how you might mark it on down imaging. Um, and I feel like that has a lot to do with it too. So all that was to say to kind of bring it back around this time of year when it comes to that cold snap, especially with the full moon coupled with the wind, you're going to get a lot more fish that are set up on structure, um, that are more of, you know, in an aggressive mood versus them just kind of either glued down to the bottom, super negative, super neutral, which is kind of what we've been dealing with this last week. Um, but more than that, the wind to just blow that water around to clear it up because as most people who are familiar with turnover know that's probably going to dirty up the water quite a bit and those fish in an already stained water situation when turnover happens they can't see and usually with the fish that we're fishing for if they can't see they're not moving they're glued down to bottom so again we're going back to the ripping baits we're trying to get some sort of reaction strike so when turnover happens or when the fall rolls around those are kind of things that we hope to see disappear those fish come up off the bottom suspending more actively feeding out in the river channels um and as long as the weather kind of stays consistent we have you know some pretty good wind coupled with those you know big fronts we i would pay really 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 good money for you know like a week's worth of rain right now as most of us in the rest of the the kansas area would probably pray for too so that's just kind of where I'm at when it comes to fall. But first, we, we do need some precipitation. I will say that. Right on. Uh, do you feel like there's big fish movements or certain conditions that sort of encourage big fish movements right now? Or do you feel like under average conditions like these fall bites, it's just sort of a, you know, the, the, the good areas, the good structure is just kind of a continuation of that late summer stuff? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't it's just hard to say because I just don't, there's no way there, there have been very few times, especially here in the last two to three years that I've seen those fish do some or fall time things during the summer, you know, where they're up suspended when they are, their bite windows are super small. So we're talking about that early morning bite or that right before sunset type situation. Cause it, you're going to have a really hard time going out, you know, at the beginning of August at two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, with, you know, like a three mile an hour wind and expecting to to catch active fish. But in the fall, the flip side of that is like on a day like today or a cloudy day with some, you know, morning precipitation, all that blows out. Then you can go out at two o'clock in the afternoon and those fish are probably going to be losing their minds all day long. And I've experienced that multiple times over the last few years. Um, I mean, not even just the last few years, but when I very first started fishing the lake before I even started guiding that when you go out in November and it's cloudy and it's windy and it's cold, uh, when there's nobody else in the landing parking lot, you're probably going to be able to catch those fish all day long. So that's just kind of, I th- I just feel like those summer fish, they just get so much more pressure, especially, you know, by the weekend warriors and the fair weather fishermen and everybody's got live scope and the lakes here fish so, so small you know, those fish are getting smarter. So a lot of times in the fall too, you have much less fishing pressure and those fish seem to respond accordingly. Right on. Let's talk a little bit about like strategy and and like presentations. You know, you're talking about the conditions, right? It's a changing deal just because, you know, the weather changes, whatever, you know, water can get muddied up. Uh, you know, water can clear up. Um, it can be overcast. It can, you know, precipitation, like, like fall weather is so variable and that affects the conditions and 
probably some of the decision making. So that's my question. You know, let's talk about presentations under the different conditions. You know, you know, the good conditions, the conditions we're talking about being maybe the best is kind of like the standard. That's what we talk about. But I, I'm even interested in like the tough stuff. You know, you already mentioned it, the muddy water. They can't see anything. You got to do the reaction thing. Tell me about your setups, things that you like about your setups, you know, your strategy when you see certain conditions and just some of the details that you feel like matter in some very situational fishing. I mean, I feel like my strategies or, you know, like how I'm going to plan out a, a, a specific day or a specific guide trip is probably not far off from anybody else. So, you know, if we see a week's worth of weather guide trips booked all week where the wind's going to blow and it's great. Everything is good. We're catching fish. And then we see the forecast for Saturday morning and it's like zero miles per hour post frontal barometric pressure through the roof, bad moon, you know, whatever insert, you know, some random guide excuse here as to why it's yeah, probably going to be tough. Totally. But, um, you know, I feel, just feel like when the water's colder, cooler, however you want to put it, you just have more opportunities for a potential better bite on a day that would otherwise be somewhat tough. So, I mean, it's, you know, the age old saying is that, you know, if you have wind for two days and it's blowing the same direction, but that third day there's no wind, you know, fish yesterday's wind, there's probably a good chance that those fish are going to still be set up on a piece of structure that they were the day before when the wind was blowing, they might just, they might just be a little bit harder to see. And I think that's something that we deal with down here a lot where, and I've done several YouTube videos recently on this where we're, these fish are so tight to bottom and otherwise negative and neutral. You would think that they're negative and neutral, but most guys, if they're not, if it's, they're just fish that other people don't really look for. When you think of white bass or hybrids or any aggressive fish, you think they're up off the bottom, schooled up, and they're pretty obvious when you're marking them on your electronics. But those same groups of fish are probably not going to leave the area they're just going to tuck themselves tight down to bottom. You could probably still get them to bite. And that's a big fish pattern too. Um, you know, to where, yes, you could probably throw, you know, like a jigging wrap or something at them, which I mean, I love rip jigging. I love that. I, there's just something about that bite. Um, especially when I do it up in green Bay in August, but when you can just throw, you know, like a three eighths ounce or even a half ounce, depending on the depth of water jig head and a three or four inch swim bait, and just slow roll that on the bottom, you're not going to have the same reactionary bite for those fish as you would um, say like in July or August or early September. I don't remember the last fish that I caught on a swim bait, to be honest, probably like back in May when the, when it was still cold ever since then, I just feel like it's for that consistent bite. It's had to have been some sort of heavy rip jigging situation bouncing right on the top of their head because I mean, they're instinctively psychos, you know, especially the, the wipers and stuff. So that's, I just really feel like in the fall, when you have those tough days, you can still get, a, or tough condition style days, you can still get away with throwing something as simple as a big swim bait or plastic or whatever, fluke style bait, just dragging it on the bottom. And those wipers especially are just going to choke on it. But walleyes may be a different story. You might have to kind of revert back to that jig and wrap where you can get them to pin it down to the bottom or if they're eating your jig and wrap head first, that's your, that's your key right there that those fish are hungry, but they're not acting like they're hungry or you're not marking them on your graph like they're hungry. So that's kind of where, like I said, on a traditionally tough day, high bluebird skies, when the water's cold, you may just have a little bit more success getting those fish to eat versus dog days of summer when after the shad hatch happens. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. If you hunt big game here, remember to do your part in protecting the herd. And that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider, if you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. 
Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link that is gf.nd.gov slash cwd. That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a bad day in the fall is still better than probably an average day in the summer. But yeah, oh, certainly, certainly a bad day in the fall is better than a bad day in the summer, for sure. That's a good point. For Fishing sure. yesterday's wind is such a phenomenal point, especially when, like you say, it's been consistent for a couple of days. Man, I tell you what, like so many of us just forget, you know, or we just, you know, life is so busy. Like you, you just, you know, you work, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday and Saturday comes and you know you're going to fish, but and you get out there and you're you're trying to fish the day you're trying to fish the conditions that are given to you but you just don't remember or or, or you, you you just you you stop you weren't paying attention on Thursday and Friday like you ought to have been because there can be some things happening that can really really help you on Saturday you know that's anywhere and that's just a phenomenal fishing point right there but you know your setups i know you're a tech, pretty technical guy or you definitely understand the details you fish as much as anybody, you produce the content, you know the ins and outs, uh, you know, of everything that you're using. Tell me some setups. Tell me some things with some of those presentations you're talking about, some of the reaction baits, whatever, um, you, know, you know, or just pick your favorite fall presentation and let's just break it down, you know, from a setup, technical setup standpoint. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I kind of always just default right back to the November timeframe. And like, if I was going to pick a week every year that I could predict that this fight was going to happen, it would be the very beginning of the week before Thanksgiving. Um, that, that week, uh, the week before the week of the week after are like three of the most consistent weeks where a, a light switch comes on in a walleye or a sauger's head that this is the time to feed and you can catch them just about however you want, but it's probably right up next to like that Memorial day weekend time frame, the best time to catch one on a jig and a plastic. Um, because here in the reservoirs, you know, those fish, again, I've, I've said this before earlier too, when those fish are in the river channel, they're not just like hanging out, just loafing in the river channel because it's fun. And there's other fish there. That's like their feeding highway. They've got shad. They've got crappie fry, which in that November time period that I that I'm talking about, we I find more like two and a half to three and a half inch crappies in a walleye's belly than shad. So, and that's just because there's so much existing brush along that deep river channel. You know, I'm talking about like maybe the edge of the river channels and anywhere from. 12 to 16 feet of water and then the river channel itself is like 35 to 40 so you've got brush piles natural timber down there which obviously makes a casting presentation really fun because we burn through a lot of tackle in that time frame <laughs> yeah but you know it's like um it's like dusty minky was just talking about on the podcast which this is a really hard podcast to be on and follow up hoyer and dustin minky talking about devil's lake but you know, same thing. It's like, you got to pay to play and, uh, that's where those fish live. But yeah, I mean, when you can get, and I kind of, so we'll talk about like first the cloudy, windy, real fronty, low pressure kind of day down here in November, there's probably a good chance that the river channel is just going to be stacked like cordwood with fish. And I'm talking white bass. I'm talking wipers, walleyes, not so much saugers. We don't really see the saugers suspend quite as much as the walleyes do, but blue catfish, channel catfish. I mean, everybody is in the river channel. And I'm just, I'm not talking about anywhere in the river channel on a 7,000 acre lake. 
you know, you're obviously just like any other traditional river channel presentation, you're looking for a bend or something different inside bend, outside bend, what have you. And, you know, with deep water, shallow water nearby, scan them all. But on those, you know, low pressure fronty days, they're going to be suspended in the channel. There's really, I find, and especially we used to do it before a live scope too, just on traditional sonar, but probably the most fun that you can have on forward facing sonar is live scoping those fish up from 20 to 30 feet down suspended over 40 foot of water. Um, I, on those windy days, I really like a jig wrap. Um, I mean, obviously like a number seven, uh, I've used up to nine just to keep more of a vertical presentation because I mean, on some of these, a lot of the lakes around here run east to west and we see a lot of west wind in the fall. So when you get a west wind, you know, it gets pretty sporty out there, you know, two, three footers for Kansas is, you know, those are, that's pretty significant chop. That's, you know, a calm day on green Bay most times, but that's when you want to have more of a vertical presentation because it's just like ice fishing where you just get that fish's attention and then get them to go vertical. And then you just start taking it away from them, you know, just little hops or, you know, you can literally just like fishing deep, deep lakers too. just start pulling it away from them, just start reeling. And that's when they're going to eat. And that's obviously really fun. But the flip side of that coin is that if we go back to one of those days where, you know, your post frontal high, clear bluebird skies, barometric pressure through the roof, those fish didn't leave. They didn't go far. They're just up on the flat nearby or just sitting right on the edge of it. And I've had so many, so many days like that, where it is the most perfect day to be on the boat, maybe not the most perfect fishing conditions, but those fish are piled up on that flat adjacent to the river channel. And that's where you can set up, you know, 60, 70, 80 feet away from them and then cast a jig and a swim bait. And you're just slowly just stroke it up, let it hit bottom, stroke it up, let it hit bottom. And I mean, you'll feel that tick. It's just like Dusty was talking about on his podcast too. There's nothing that compares to a jig and a plastic bite when you feel that thump. But a lot of times they trap it down, they eat it right off the bottom. You go to lift up to make that next stroke and you just feel mush. And it's 90% of the time within three to five feet of the edge of the river channel. Cause that's just where they're hanging out. You know, they're not going far. They're just waiting for that next feeding opportunity. And that's kind of what I feel like those fish are doing when they they're in the river channel, they're eating. And then they get off the edge of the river channel. There's a hanging around in the mud, just digesting their last meal, waiting for that, that food to digest so they can get back out and do it again when the conditions are right. So that's kind of that primary pattern that I love so much in the month of November that I look forward to. I mean, that's why my April between April and November, those are the two months out of the year besides May that book the fastest, you know, a year plus out because people want that bite window. They want that. They don't want to, troll spinners they don't want to pull crank they don't want to watch a spread of lead core or anything like that they want to have you know a seven foot one medium extra fast spinning rod in their hand you know with a 2000 size spinning reel casting at those fish uh when they're hungry and i i can't blame them <laughs> yeah totally go into deep depth on that you know you're talking about your rod and reel like you know you fish with your clients you know you've kind of probably kind of you know, maybe develop some uh, opinions over the course of your experience with, you know, just a good universal setup versus, you know, maybe some real like technique uh, specific setups. Like, give me some recommendations there from your guiding experience with clients. You, you kind of more of a, you know, universal rod and reel line setup that kind of does it all, uh, you know, kind of guy. Or do you have some, you know, some real specific setups for those presentations? I mean, I'm, I'm the, I'm both the right person and the wrong person to ask that because the right side of that coin is that I am obsessed with high end spinning gear. Um, especially when you're, you know, dealing with a finesse presentation bite. So I've recently partnered up with a custom rod company out of Wisconsin that makes more, you know, they're high end custom rods, but at a relatively affordable price point, Kate outdoors, but we that you can go both ways you can just pick up any old seven foot medium spinning rod at you know what you know shields or insert your local tackle shop here and go out and do the same thing but when you want to be really dialed on your presentation especially when you're stroking a jig and a plastic that's when i get more into the specific you know like a seven foot one or a seven foot two medium extra fast tip i feel like just like a snap jigging application that extra fast tip really gives you that little bit of 
added sensitivity you know, on the first like four to five inches of the tip of the rod. Um, I wouldn't go any lighter than that because, well, if for my applications, because we're throwing, you know, three eighths to half ounce baits for the most part. Um, but I mean, all the way up to a seven foot six medium extra fast, which is probably my all time favorite rod. As I've gotten older, I've migrated towards having a longer rod, especially for a lot of the finesse smallmouth fishing that we do, throwing hair jigs, Ned rigs, tubes, and stuff like that. You can never have a rod that's that's too long for when you're making long casts, um, especially when you have to set the hook into a fish where you've got 70 feet of line out. It really helps keep that fish pin. So from there, it just all becomes personal preference and how much money you want to spend on a setup. But yes, you know that what you can do with a jig wrap or a swim bait, that seven foot, I wouldn't go any really shorter than seven foot. Um, I know there's a lot of guys that kind of like that 610 medium light for lighter plastics, which I do as well. But just for the, the regular guy, if he was going to go out and buy a setup that he could fish vertically with jig wraps on live scope or cast at those fish um, with swim baits, you know, just anywhere from that seven to seven and a half foot range. So again, I'm the right person and the wrong person just because I have that knowledge of just being so obsessed with spinning rods because they're universal plug and play. I'm not going to hand a client a bait caster to throw or to try and learn, you know, take him an hour to learn and go through two spools of braid or fluorocarbon <laughs> before he gets the hang of it or, or ends up picking up a spinning rod. But the, uh, the other side of it is again, you can just use whatever you got, but it does help to have the right, the right tool for the right job, obviously, because we are, we are fishermen in that respect. And, you know, I, I agree with you too on the seven foot because I feel like a really good, a really good, uh, uh, like seven, seven, three, um, you know, medium, it, that's a good live bait rig and rod too. Like hundred percent. Like you can, you can, uh, you can rig a leech, you can rig, you know, even a, a, a pretty big minnow, you know, that can be, that can be your crawler harness, um, over the weeds where you got a rod in hand, you know, like Minnesota is a one rod state, right? Like a lot of Minnesotans know what I'm talking about right now. It's like, you know, your best jigging rod can be your best live bait rigging rod when it's rod in hand. And it's like, I mean, there's just a lot to appreciate about a good. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's like a whole nother conversation too of like, okay, so you've got a medium action rod, which yeah, you can fish live bait with. You can obviously, that's what you want for a snap jigging situation with heavier glide baits. But the flip side of that coin is like, you get more into talking about rigging, though you don't want those fish to, to feel you when, when they pick that bait up. So you kind of have to, if you're going to have one rod and it's going to be a medium action, you have to learn how to adapt to that presentation. It's just like trolling rods. If you're going to have a stiff trolling rod, you got to use mono. Yeah, but exactly. If you're going to use braid, if you're going to use braid, you got to have more of a limber rod because there's no stretch. So it's like you have to just kind of weasel your way through. If you don't want to get a medium light rod, a noodle rod for rigging, um, that you just have to, you know, use mono maybe on a medium action rod. So there's, I could talk myself in circles and repeat myself four dude, times 100%. before we actually get to the end of it. But no, it just, I, you dude, I it. love this part of the conversation, man. I love talking circles, like literally right in this arena, because it's true. It's like, you know, the presentation, it's like, there's so many ways to work backwards from a good fish catch, you know, from a good bite, as far as like all the other details and what you've got. And there's certain things that we just have that we can't change. Like some, you know, some of us have, we've got too many rods. We're not going to go buy anymore. We got to use what we got, but realize that line selection, you know, you know, uh, you know, the weight leader length, you know, the, uh, you know, just lure size, like all the other, there's so many other factors that you can manipulate, um, you know, to reach that end goal. And the person next to you, you know, it's kind of the same considerations where they might have a few, you know, variables that are just sort of fixed. You know, there's just certain things you can't change when you're out in the boat, but you've got those other spools of line. You've got more, you know, lure options. You can go through your tackle box and you can just find some of those little details um, that will get you in the end zone. I think that's a very cool, fun conversation to have that many of us forget about, like in the moment when you're out in the boat and you don't fish for those of us that don't fish or aren't on the water as much as you, 
Um, you know, I think that's a really great point. Um, and I imagine, I imagine you have your clients day in and day out that make you talk in these circles. And then two days later, you got to talk in the same circle with a whole new batch of clients, huh? Oh yeah. No, I hear, I hear myself talk in my sleep, but I mean, it's like, that's just all part, that's just all part of it. Um, and I mean, I'm sure for a lot of the guys that listen to the podcast, a lot of this is just repeat information like, Oh, duh you know, no kidding. You're using a stiffer rod. You got to use mono or have a loose drag or whatever. But for the people that just have one or two rods and maybe they want to get another one, it's just, it's a good entry level conversation to have from a technicality standpoint uh, to really just get that kind of those wheels in motion for those guys and get the wheels in motion in their head turning. And I mean, I'll use my dad as a prime example, like 10 years ago, he probably never would have bought another fishing rod from what he, whatever he had, you know, like some Berkeley cherry woods from Walmart. And now the guy's got seven foot, six medium light, extra fast Ned rig rods and stuff. And it's, I, I'm not sorry because I made him spend more money, but he's a lot happier when he's fishing because he, you know, he's got that technical side down and yeah. jig and wraps and stuff for the older crowd. Uh, when I've got people out for four to six hours, is really tough on somebody that it's really tough on your forearm and just your whole body all day. And that's where you have to go buy a light rod. If you want a rod that you can do everything on, you want to especially fish glide baits. It's got to be a light setup. You cannot have, you know, a reel that weighs nine ounces on a rod that weighs two ounces. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a pretty heavy setup. So there's, yeah, again, just a lot to it. Oh yeah. Are you, are you a mono guy or a braid guy or how do you uh, attack that conversation at this point in your career? No, I, I mean, I'm really not a mono guy whatsoever just because I'm just comfortable enough with the setups that I have to just go braid to fluoro in those situations. Uh, I do know guys that pull bottom bouncers on mono. I, I do. I mean, I shouldn't from a spinning rod application. Yes. A hundred percent. 10 to 15 pound braid to, you know, a 10 to 15 pound fluorocarbon later, but trolling rods, um, pulling boards. I'm really not a huge proponent of pulling boards with braid or I'm sorry with, uh, with mono down here because we do so much shallow trolling. I really want to know what's going on at, at the end of my bait at any one point in time. Cause we fish shallow a lot. You know, if I'm not using lead core and I'm pulling boards, it's a little bit harder to uh to detect those bites or you know if you picked up a stick or you know somebody else's hundred pound uh you know catfishing rig off the bottom or something when you got a (laughs) a spread of six boards out (laughs) but what what, when i go up to green bay and i troll stick baits in the spring then i pull out my monofilament because i mean number one you've got the water clarity and um you just need that added stretch for when a 10 to 13 pound walleye hits so uh, down here in the mid south, all braid, but going up north on the trolling side, mono. I mean, there's nothing that compares to having light braid on a spinning reel when you're finesse fishing, especially paired with a sensitive rod. You can feel everything, what's going on 80 feet out at the end of your line, all the way down to where your hand is in the reel seat. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the technology's moving. You know, I mean, I think. All these things are just popular, you know, topics of conversation in every single fishing circle out there. And everybody wants to brag about a new rod that they got. But, you know, that technology is moving, man. And um, and so, yeah, like having those concepts down of like the situations where braid works and then how to utilize, you know, different braids and, and leader setups and all that stuff and, and the line selection and just how that all packages together to you know, it affects, um, you know, your cadence and, and what the fish are experiencing or seeing from you and how you're going to get them to bite. And, and, uh, you know, just, just putting that whole total package together where, man, there's just some days where a lot of those details can really matter. You know, though, those combination of details can really, really matter. And as we're talking about this fall time frame, it's absolutely, you know, the best days of fall are the days of the year that we just absolutely dream about or fantasize about. Um, but there can be tough days any time of year, any season that we go through, 
there can be tough days. And so incorporating that into our conversation, I think, is very valuable as well. And just talking about how to attack, you know, some of those tougher days, I think that absolutely helps paint the picture because just having a conversation about the best of conditions and the best of bites, which might only represent like 5% of the days of fishing in the entire fall, doesn't do a whole lot of people any good that have to work those days, you know? Right. But Well, and that's, it just like kind of goes back to like that, the meme that gets shared around Facebook all the time. It's like, here's a picture of what the lake looks like when I can fish and here, or when I'm at work all week. And here's what it looks like on Saturday, you know, and it's like totally six, seven, eight foot waves and tons of boats. And I'm like, but dude, you want the wind. The wind is your friend, especially in the fall. It gets everything moving. It gets everything mixed together. You know, that the chop, because I get that question a lot. Like, why do you, why do you always talk about wanting it to be windy? If not for anything, just providing oxygen in the water, more yeah. oxygen. It acts like an aerator, you know, in your bait bucket or whatever. That it's. I think Jason even said that in a podcast a couple episodes ago. Where it, I mean, it just gets those everything moving and just brings more life to the to the water column, just as a whole, up shallow, out deep, everything. So. Oh yeah! If anybody has a fish tank, this was one thing. Like we've got a fish tank at the headquarters. Got a couple fish in it. And same thing with bait. Yeah, like you said, the bait bucket. Like, if anybody wants to know what what that what wind does, like or like you know, as far as oxygenating water, like have a bait bucket full of minnows and turn your aerator on, like a small bubbler, like even in like a big Rubbermaid cooler that has like twenty gallons of water. Just in the corner of it, have like a bubbler going, and like an hour later, just see how active those minnows are. There's going to be some suspended. They're going to be swimming back and forth, just kind of doing their deal. Turn that bubbler off and go back like two hours later. Every one of them is going to be laying flat to the bottom looking like they're nursing a hangover. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it, oh my it, gosh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Like, where's the oxygen? Like, you know, just, just, it, it really is that opportunity. And it's not exactly the, the nice bluebird days that you're looking for uh, this time of year. Um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, everybody wants to talk about the walleye chop, but I mean, you're going even a step further than that. You know, we're looking for, you know, cool mornings, hard blows and fishing yesterday's wind. It can, you know, we just had a couple days of hard blow here in North Dakota, just a hard West Northwest blow too windy to even fish like most of, you know, the lakes around here, certainly not for the casual recreational angler, but as soon as that clears up, you know, just, just paying attention to the conditions, but just remember what the wind was the last couple of days is going to help you sort of decide where to start. And it'll probably point you in a very good direction. I think those are just really, really good points. Um, and I like the recommendations on all the technical gear and all the fun fishing rod and, and setups and presentation conversation. Those are just important to have because everybody likes, everybody likes, uh, you know, comparing their own opinions to, to what you got. So I appreciate it, Brian, man. Anything else that we got to talk about? No, I don't think so. I mean, just, you know, again, going back to the wind, if you got, you know, if you work full time and you got Saturday and Sunday to fish and the Packers play at noon on Sunday, but the wind blow Saturday. So you decide to fish Sunday morning or vice versa, fish the day with the wind. You know, if the Packers play at noon on Sunday and it's going to be a calm day, that's your day to sleep in, get some brats going and watch the football game. But just do, I mean, yeah. 25, 30, and you got, you know, a 16, 17-foot boat with a 48-inch trolling motor on the bow, probably not going to be the best for you. It won't be very comfortable and just not super efficient, but just do not be afraid of the wind, um, I mean, any time of the year, but especially in the fall. So if you got two days to fish and one looks really nice, high bluebird sky, great boating day, and the other is blowing 15, pick the day that's blowing 15 because I promise you will not be disappointed. Right on. That's it, Brian, man. That's a wrap, dude. Great conversation about the fishing opportunities you have down there, which I really like. And I like talking about it this time of year, too, because when when we're winding down, you know, and I don't just mean people decide to do other things, you know, like, you know, school is back in session, whatever, like life is busy year round. That That's like year round thing. But as far as fishing goes, I think we get cold up here. We start thinking early ice and it just like the boats are winterized. We just got to prepare for that first snow that's probably going to catch us with our pants down. 
man, you got stuff going on down there that's driving distance that where you're you're entering like peak season. You're entering just a phenomenal time of year, a great opportunity. And if anybody, even if we still want to winterize our boat, we can just uh, you know try to call you and get on your schedule. Uh, best we can and just go down you know I couldn't recommend it enough to go down and experience some of that and we talk about walleyes but you're I love you're talking about the wipers as well like dude that is just I mean it's just that's it should it that's should fun. be a bucket list like people think about going to Alaska to catch halibut or salmon or whatever you know the deal is or going to fish saltwater somewhere like dude you're like you're like a half a day's drive from going down to Kansas and catching wipers that like on on spin tackle that is like it's like saltwater fishing so anyways that is to say promote yourself tell me tell me where people can get a hold of you uh questions um or just want to inquire or just look you up go ahead yep i'm a very reachable guy uh the website is kansasanglingexperience.com uh the facebook page and the instagram follow with the same name uh post pretty much every day uh client accolades and uh, other stuff that i might be doing on my days off definitely hit up the youtube videos um i've got a I started a podcast earlier this year myself that i've definitely fallen behind on so thank you for getting me re-motivated to get that going yeah, Taylor. Dude. but um but yeah we like i said earlier in the conversation i mean people come from all over to experience these bites uh there's never an opportunity that you're going to be able to to not have down here whether it's you know the pit you want to catch 20 to 40 crappies for a fish fry we've got two live scopes in the boat and during the winter time again that's the best opportunity to catch a bunch of crappies um and all very very intuitive on live scope but if walleyes or the white bass or just anything that bends the rod even the sheep head down here kind of fun on tough days <laughs> and we yeah. can always accommodate so yeah man dude i like it brian i appreciate it a whole bunch it's clutch that you yep. can do this stuff uh when our schedules are just um our schedules are both just a disaster this time of year so it's almost really just i just feel really good about the fact that we were able to have this conversation <laughs> me too uh, yeah yeah it's been a bit it's been a minute yeah yeah i'm just glad we were able to put it together finally but anyways, um, yeah, dude, I can't wait to do it again, Brian. And uh, good luck the rest of the rest of the season, man. And uh, I'll let you back to it for real this time. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. All right, man, we'll talk to you.